right now, so it's all going to be a, a one-person diatribe. And uh, if you are expecting John Johansson, John, John may be listening now, wondering why he's unable to call in. And unfortunately, we can't have John do the boatyard report. He's in New Hampshire right now, and we'll have to do a, a, a double report when he gets back next month. But we're going to go um, off into several different directions. I guess the first one was going to be a recap of a, a subject I talked about a little bit last show about a new material that I think is going to be a, a big news in the boating, boat building industry. If you're on the uh, opposite end of the, the wooden boat spectrum, there's a new material called graphene. It's a, sort of a takeoff on graphite. Um, it's basically carbon, carbon uh, atoms hooked together. Usually carbon atoms, when they're joining with each other, they form uh, triangles, and uh, that's why diamonds are diamond-shaped because of the, the way the atoms come together. But somehow with graphene, rather than being a three-dimensional shape, they make the carbon into hexagons, flat hexagons that interlock and can spread very wide, making a, a very wide but thin, super thin, one molecule thick sheet of material, carbon, and it has all kinds of strange properties. It has high electrical conductivity, high elasticity. It's very hard, harder than diamond, they say, and it's 200 times, 200 times stronger than steel but it's much lighter. Now think about this as a, a fiberglass boat building, but as, as a substitute for fiberglass. It's more flexible than carbon, but just as light, and it's capable of generating electricity by exposure to sunlight. So you could have your own solar-powered boat just by exposing the hull to the sun. And not only does it generate electricity. You can also, if you run electric current through it in different directions, it'll either heat up or cool down. So they're using it to make um, boat seats. You can have your own boat seat on the top of your flybridge out in the full sun and have your seat cool down to a nice 65 degrees or whatever. Pretty neat stuff. That's graphene. So on to another subject that I've been talking about lately is um, a fellow who is rowing across the Pacific. Started in um, Peru, I believe, and has rowed most of the way across the Pacific already, landing in a very small island in the, I think it's the northernmost of the Cook Islands. He was trying to go further south, but he discovered that ocean currents. Um, can be fairly strong, and he ended up getting pushed further northern, north than he wanted and luckily made this one northern island there, And but was um, just about in time because it just was the beginning of uh, monsoon season there and uh, didn't want to be on the water for that. So he stayed there for a couple of months and became very friendly with the, the nice people that were there. Finally pushed on to... Fiji, was it? 
um, I don't have a map in front of me now, I'm trying to remember. Um, but then went to American Samoa and stopped there and did some uh, cleaning of the bottom of his boat and uh, I guess he's getting a new uh, electronics thing, but is on his way to Australia. That's his goal, is rowing from Peru to Australia and has almost made it there. But um, he's had some adventures along the way. I have a recording of um, Tom doing um, in his first leg before he made it to uh, Penrind is the name of the little island that he came to. And um, he, he, uh, he, he has a... He has a a little uh, he blogged I guess we'll call it a blog. He writes very well, and uh, he wrote a little story of his adventure with a with a rogue rogue wave. So this is me uh, reading Tom Raves Tom Robinson's description. After this amazing period, a strong southeaster blew up. I was trying to get south and it was pushing me north. There was nothing I could do. All my rowing was to no avail. Eventually, the sea state was such that it was unsafe to row beam on. I was helpless. On day 75, I woke up and realized that reaching the Marquesas was nigh impossible. Instantly, my mindset shifted. Where to next? Cyclone season was approaching, and I needed to get to land and safety. On top of this, I was limited in my water and food supplies. I still had enough, but landfall was imperative. There was one speck on the chart about a thousand miles west from the Marquesas, Penryn Island. I checked out my pilot books and found that there were two villages. This is all I needed to know. Penrid was inhabited. So that's um, quoting Tom Robinson, not him. Um, actually, he has done some some live uh, satellite phone interviews with the people at um, Off Center Harbor. Off Center Harbor. They're a, a website that has a lot of uh, boating. V videos and uh, some interesting uh, messages with, with various artists. Um, so I have, um, <laughs> I have a message here, but we'll go get to that in a little bit. I have uh, uh, another, when I was researching Tom Robinson rolling across the uh, Pacific, I discovered that there is actually a person who was attempting to row around the world and uh, he only made it as far as the South Pacific when the uh, he hit a wave, as Tom was talking about, a wave that knocked all the electronics out of his little rowboat and he ended up bailing out into his life raft and was drifting for two weeks Two weeks, and I can't believe he didn't have an EPIRB. But anyway, people who had been following him by satellite, and all of a sudden his satellite communication stopped, asked the uh, P 
people in the South Pacific to keep an eye out for him, and he was discovered by a, a passing tanker and saved. But um, that ended his attempt to row around the world. But there was another person who actually, well, sort of did row around the world. Um, he went from landmass and then went across country to the other side of the landmass and then started rowing again. So it's, I don't know if you want to technically call that rowing around the world. But now there's a uh, another person, a woman, a woman named Ellen Falterman, who is attempting to row around the world, all entirely rowing around the world, not going across by land anywhere. She just left last September from um, Key West and says here, this is a report from last September, she is going to go from the Key West to um, Cuba if she can get permission to go to Cuba because that's a good block for the uh, windshield from the Caribbean easterlies as she departs to the uh, Cape or the Panama Canal. But if that doesn't work, she's going to turn left and head to um, Portugal the other way. So she's going around the world somewhere or another. Hasn't really figured these things out yet, but we'll be following her a little bit more in the future. I do have um, an interview here with Mike Joyce and um, a fisherman who, who um, Mike interviewed quite a few years ago. And we'll uh, go into that and have Mike, Mike's old interview. Interesting story. You're going clamming, and you're in Rockland. Yeah. You've got a small 15-foot uh, uh, outboard, outboard uh, boat. Yep. And you want to get over to the Fox Island thoroughfare. Right. So you take off, you're going to be having a day clamming. Right. Um, you also usually have a partner, don't you? Yes. But he's not there this morning. No, his pipe shows up. So you're off on your own. That's right. So we take off from Rockland. Nice morning. What You know. What, it appeared that, to be. Then what happened? <laughs> well, I ran into some sea smoke, which really ain't that uncommon in Rockland. So well, I just referred to the compass, pretty much an east-west shot going across the bay. I know you're familiar with sea smoke. It, it just kind of hangs over the surface. You can't see around you, but you can look up and see the sky and stuff, but you can't really see where you're going. But I was cruising along, I see big waves come in. I thought maybe there's a ferry passing by. I slowed down a little bit. I figured I'd give them a little room because I couldn't see them yet. I got up on top of the first wave, and that was the small one. The rest of them was bigger than that. So I couldn't get turned around or anything, so I pretty much had to go with it. We got to uh, remind people, this is 1984. Yes. You're looking at a compass. Yes. We don't have a GPS. They haven't invented it yet. Right. At yeah. least I didn't have access to yeah. one. Yeah. Just a small boat. Yeah, and this will be kind of key, too, because knowing where you are is kind of big. And, and yes. when you get in the sea yes. smoke, it's kind of like the fog, except for different. Yes. And you can't see where you are. But now the water's kicked up, and again... Um, you can't go where you want to in the boat. No, you can point the boat in the direction that you want to go, but when there's a storm like that, uh, it, it takes you off course. Even even though the boat is headed in the right direction, the bow stem is pointed towards your target. 
that doesn't mean that's necessarily where you're going because the wind and current, you know, pulled me way off course. Actually, I ended up uh, two miles south of Vinyl Haven, and I was headed for Fox Island Thoroughfare. Which would be north of there. Yes. Yeah, so you didn't end up at all where you were where you were uh, wanting to go. So Right. The Not boat close, is... Really. Actually, I didn't even realize where I was. I, the, I waddled through most of the waves there at first, you know, that... At first, you know, there's six and eight footers, and they soon grew to 12 and 14 footers, and I'm only in a 15 foot boat. Snowing? So pretty much in part, yeah. Yeah, it, it just started, you know, it wasn't a full blown gale yet, but I was just coming in into the face of it. Because I didn't know, because I couldn't see around me, but the skies above me there was getting pretty grim. And like I said, you know, it's like 12 and 14 foot sea, so you're not going to get a 15 foot boat turned around, so. Nope. I trudged on. I figured, you know, it's a normal trip. It's like 45 minutes when you're cruising along. But, because I've lost lost a full head of steam, because if I go too fast, the bow dives under the water, and I'm taking in water over the bow. Had a windshield on, really, is what saved it. The green water's coming over the deck and peeling off the sides. And if I slowed down too much, the backwash would come in over the outboard. So it mm. didn't take too long to get a, enough water in it where you couldn't make any progress. So... I trudged along, I don't know, maybe 45 minutes to an hour, thinking that I should be able to see land here pretty quick. And I see that uh, buoy. I wasn't even familiar with which buoy it was, actually, but I was pretty happy to see it. I had coffee and food aboard, you know, the boat, so I figured, well, I'll just tie the boat to this buoy. That buoy's going to be there through the duration, and it'll break the sea from hitting the small boat. And I figured I could just ride it out. Like I said, I had coffee and and uh, food in the boat. So I pulled up to the booing because it was ice encrusted and stuff and wasn't real easy to grab onto. But I grabbed onto it, and the next wave, you know, we're talking, you know, eight, ten-foot wave still, and I'm not that tall. I grabbed the buoy, and, and the wave dropped, and I hooked it with my feet on the rail, but, I mean, there was no holding on to it. You know, it, So the boat got away from me, and I'm dangling off the side of the buoy. I had my hip boots on. They filled, so yeah. a little struggle. I get up onto the buoy and roll the boots down. That's bobbing and weaving around. I got them dumped out. And the whole time I figured, you know, somebody will be here any minute now. Any minute. Uh, what he, time of the day was this when, was when you first got probably on? Probably around 10.30, quarter of 11. Uh-huh. Now, um... You get on, you've grabbed onto the buoy, the boat's disappeared out from under Right, uh, I mean, two waves later, it was out of sight. Yeah, but for a minute there, it's only for a couple minute, feet I away. I to grab the boat, you know, but I, like I said, I had on my hip boots, and, they, and they were, one was full of water, and the other one was partially full. So, I mean, I really didn't dare to let go of the buoy once I got a hold of it. You can't swim for the boat. Not with those boots on. No. no. And uh, so, Bob, i got to ask you, what are you thinking? Well, you know, I'm I'm thinking they'll be there any time. You know, who? Well, the Coast Guard or any other boat. Uh, right, right then, I still didn't realize what I was in for because it was a squall. I mean, even the weather forecast hadn't predicted it. I'd seen them before, but not to that extent and not that time of year. And we so can't... I was aware, you know, it might blow itself out here in a few minutes, and yeah. then the fog might clear. So I wasn't that concerned, other than being a little on the chill side. You know, I figured, you know, I, I could wait it out. And we can't, we can't underestimate here. You don't know exactly what buoy you're on. It's no, got a big no, number two on it. It's a red and white, I guess. It's the Bay Ledge buoy, and it's about yeah. uh, oh four or five uh, miles, about dead south of Carver's Harbor. Right. And uh, 
from the way you were drifting there, uh, where you were trying to go on the Fox Island thoroughfare is uh, more than a couple miles north. Yeah, well, it's probably more like six or eight miles off course. Yeah, but like I said, even though I was pointing the boat east, uh, I'm going north. Yeah, I'm going north faster than I'm going east, and that's what happened. But this not being where ex- exactly you expect to be will no, we'll come back as well here. See it, to be honest with you, because it was obvious the boat wasn't going to make it. You know, the boat was already half submerged. Yeah. In fact, I could uh, throttle up, and water was that was in the boat would uh, surge back and go over the stern. But by then, the bow would be going down into the next one. Mm-hmm. Like I said, the windshield was peeling off most of the green water, but. Uh, it was it was it was still taking on water. No, uh, no bilge pump on this boat. Uh, no, we're talking just a you Open know boat. runabout skiff. Yeah, I uh, actually brought in the chart kit this morning to show Alan where this uh, buoy was, and and we look at the direction where you must have been headed uh, when you fetched up on that buoy and and project further that way. Um, you might have been lucky to run into the Matinicus ragged uh, wooden ball islands. Kind of, kind of. If the boat had stayed afloat, if it stayed afloat, and you was lucky, and they weren't right. close either, you know. Well, so actually, I tell people if I was lucky, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah, <laughs> but between uh, that buoy and 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 quite a ways, uh, you know, that buoy was a good thing you grabbed onto that yes. really because. Yes. So anyway, we jump up on the buoy. It's covered with ice. You're right. wet. Right. It's well, January. It's, it's ten it. degrees and it's snowing. Yeah. Yeah. Now what are we gonna do? Well. They, they, I uh, knew I had to keep warm by all means. So, like I said, I, I rolled down my boots and uh, pulled them off and got the water out of them. The, I don't know if you're real familiar with them buoys the way they're designed, but there's like little triangle platforms on them. Yeah. And on two sides of it, there's a little uh, steel rod that goes across the platform. So I could sit on the platform and I wrap my arm around the steel beam so it wouldn't fall out of it. Because it's bobbing and weaving, you know, pretty bad. Like a, there's like a sea running, yeah. And, uh... You know, I, like I said, I, I, I uh, tried to make myself as comfortable as I could, and I, I tucked myself in a corner of the buoy, and then I, I sacrificed my hood that I had on, and I put that across me almost like a little door, and I pulled my knees up under my clothes and uh, just huddled there. And after a while, I got thinking, oh, geez, you know, maybe, maybe I can burn some of these boots and get some heat because I knew I was going to have to dry off because it, it weren't going to be warming up. So in between uh, waves here, I started uh, trying to tear off booze, but my fingers and stuff was pretty numb at that point. But I could take both hands and get a hold of a big piece of it, and then I'd take my teeth in and yank on it. And once you got them started, it wasn't quite so bad, and I tore off a couple little strips at first. And uh, I, like I said, I basically made a tent out of my clothes, I put my knees up under all of my clothes and pulled them down over everything. Then with my left hand, I was holding the rubber, and my right hand was wrapped around the steel rod. And that's that's the way I lit the rubber. It didn't, you know, burst into flame or anything, but you'd see it like an orange flame on the rubber. Then I'd have to close my eyes and hold my breath, and it would smolder for a while. So, you know, but it was heat. So uh, I started getting dried off, you know, after a while, and uh, long towards dark there, I, I'd gotten pretty well dry. But um, a little after dark there, I got thinking, geez, I'm probably going to be stuck here overnight. So about 10 o'clock that night, I, you know, there's still a lot of roar. You can hear the sea splash and the, bo- the buoy still bobbing and weaving around. But 
I, I heard this noise. It, uh, so I, you know, I looked out of my little makeshift door that I had on the side of the buoy there to break the wind and see. And I see this bright light in the sky shining down at me. And I mean, I was sure I saw it. I was a little concerned that I might be starting to hallucinate and stuff, but I know I saw this bright light. So I got thinking then, you know, it must be a helicopter, you know, even though I couldn't hear it. Uh, it must be a helicopter and they'll be here any minute. So that's what I continued to think all night. Now, your buddy who had to stay home and thaw the pipes uh, frozen in, in the house there, uh, he did uh, not hear from you, and, and he called the Coast Guard. Right. People but, knew but that he you... He didn't call, call it in until late that afternoon, because at the time I was renting a place out there, and I, my plan was to go out there with my supplies and spend a couple of days out there and dig a couple of tides and then come back on the ferry. That was good, just going to be like a one-time crossing for the boat. That's why I picked a good day. At least I thought. Yeah. yeah. And I was going to leave the boat out there, and then I was just going to take the ferry back and forth the rest of the winter. You were alone, but somebody did know you were missing, and yes. again, they were alerted. And you had some hope that, that uh, people would come looking for you. Yes. And hope's a big thing, as not Yes. It? Yes. Well, like I keep saying, uh, I figured they'd be there at any minute now. You know, I, I'm pretty sure that's what kept me going, you know, just knowing that they'd be there any minute and you got some, you definitely, uh, you know, you light a fire, you got some cheer there, but that those boots actually did provide heat for you as yes. well as... Yes, enough, you know, so I could dry out. Because when I first got on the buoy, I, I was wet from the chest down. And and during the night, I had dried my clothes somewhat. Uh, at t- around 10 or 10.20 that night, when I saw that light, I tried to, you know, wave out at, at them, you know, and, and make myself bigger so they could see me because I was kind of tucked in on the side of the shelf. Yell at a helicopter. I, I tried to wave, and I was stuck to the buoy. My butt was actually stuck to the buoy, and I, I actually felt the uh, cloth, you know, pulled skin off. You know, it didn't hurt or anything, but, I mean, I, I was pretty, uh, I was cer- certain what was happening. Then after that, I sacrificed a down vest that I had. I ended up sitting on that afterwards. But then, anyways, the light went out. and went on for a few hours, and it gave me time to think of, what that light actually was, because like I said, I didn't hear it. And I'm beginning to wonder if I saw the light. <laughs> yeah. You know? And then uh, I got through the night, long towards the early wee hours of the morning was probably the toughest part of it. You know, wondering whether, you know, because I figured out if I slid off the buoy and into the water, you know, I'd just go into shock and it wouldn't be painful. I didn't think I'd be able to take another day. And by the time it did turn daylight, I mean, I could see my hands were all swollen and stuff. And by then, my hips, and you know, I don't know if you've ever had frostbite or not, but it's pretty evil stuff. Yeah. Your fingers get cold, and then they hurt, and they, they burn, and then after a while, they'll go numb. But after they've turned numb, now that same pain is creeping up into your wrist and up your arm. So you're going through that stage, you know, and you can feel it you know, pretty much consuming you. Like I said, I, I, I could feel it in my hips and everything by morning. So I wasn't in very good shape, you know, as far as healthy. <laughs> we've already got enough to contend with without right. some severe pain as well. But you got to go back to what you're thinking, Bob. It takes a long time for the sun to come up at sea. Yes, it does. That, yep. was, a, that was the longest time of the whole thing, waiting for daylight. Yeah. And then daylight, I mean, the storm cleared just as soon as dawn broke. I mean, it was beautiful out. It was clear, you know, I, I started moving around to see if everything still worked, and it did. Everything was kind of stiff and hurt and numb, but 
I mean, my legs and arms and fingers was all working, although they didn't look that great. So I started exploring the buoy and trying to get a little exercise, you know, and get warmed up. And uh, I even see this duck that had swam right up close to the buoy. And I'm still kind of questioning my judgment, you know, from here, here and there, wondering whether I'm still okay, whether I'm still sane and everything. So I weren't positive this duck was there, so I growled at him and threw my arms in the air. And he couldn't take off fast enough. He crapped, dropped a couple feathers, and he was out of there. And I actually laughed. I said, no, that's for real. And uh, here a little more, and on the other side of the compartment that I was sitting on, I found a bird skeleton. And that was pretty eerie. And uh, like I said, the fog had lifted. It was a beautiful day out. I could see land, but I still really wasn't exactly sure where I was. So... Mm. I, you know, the, once the weather got good, then I could burn the strips there a little more, and I finished got drying off. No, uh, you know. Well, I, I know panic is a bad thing. I've been around other people when when they panicked, and they, and, and I think that panic kills. You know, and, and everybody don't have uh, 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 control over it. And I think that there's one of the fortunate things that happened that I didn't panic, so I, I still thought clear through the whole process. I tell you what, though, I've tried to imagine this, too. I would have been pissed when, when uh, that boat disappeared. I would have been quite mad at myself. I was, you know? I, I was a little disappointed, but like I said, I don't <laughs> think the boat would have made it much further anyways. Yeah. The weird thing is they never found the boat. So Never so, found the boat. Yeah, if I had stayed wondered. with the boat, they probably wouldn't have found me neither. Yeah. Wow. So here we are. Uh, dawn has come. We don't have a cup of coffee. Uh, we still got the Bic lighter and, and the gumboots and stuff, but... Uh, you know, there's still nobody in sight, Bob. It's a be- I love the. It's a beautiful day. Beautiful I mean, day. You know, you know so- I started uh, accessing the extent of my injuries. You know, like I said, my hands there were swelling up, and fingernails was turning black. And, uh, like I said, it's a beautiful day, and I kept watching the horizon. I, I see planes up in the air so far. You know, they they couldn't see me, and then finally, after a while, around one o'clock in the afternoon, I seen a big boat there on the horizon. It looked like they was headed towards me, but I mean, they was miles away. So I stood up on top of the buoy there, waving my arms, and, and sure enough, that big boat, you know, started to turn and started coming towards the buoy. So, so you you climbed up on top of the the buoy rig. The, the at that boat. at that point, I did. You know, I wanted them to be able to see me. I was waving my vest and stuff. Well, of course, through the night, you know, burning that rubber, my face was just as black as the rubber boots. And as it turned out, that kind of helped save my skin from freezing and stuff. Huh. But these young fellows on the Coast Guard boat, you know, they didn't really know quite what to do with me by the time they pulled up. It was a point hand that pulled up. And, you know, they had their young fellows on deck, you know, and, and they thought they were just looking at a dead man. They told me afterwards, you know, you didn't even look human, you weren't moving, you know, and, and they didn't know what to do with me, basically. And I'm cheerful. I mean, I'm a happy-go-lucky guy anyways, and I'm pretty happy to see these guys. So yeah. I'm raising heck with them, cracking yeah, jokes huh? and stuff. Give me a cup guys, of coffee, you know, could you? Hand, you know, coffee, you know, sandwich. And they didn't know what to do with me. They're standing on the both there with gaffs and stuff. So I'm telling them, you know, geez, don't be hooking me with those gaffs. <laughs> you pull right over here, and I'll come right aboard. So, uh, so now the time where you're on the buoy, the Coast Guard has been out watching. They've launched jets. They've launched helicopters. They've launched multiple boats. Point Hannon was. Uh, 
Turns out to be my friend Will Bodie. He was the used to be the Northeast Harbor Harbor Master. Is that he, right? He was the skipper of that boat that morning. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, all world. It's all it? all connected, man. Oh, it was a nice crew. You know, they took yeah. good care of me. They wrapped me up in blankets. You know, and I talked with them. Then they realized, you know, I was fine. You know, other than that soot there from my boots. Coast Guard and, uh, had had their own problems, so one of the boats came out of Rockland, had to turn around, the radar wasn't working, they went back, that delayed things. Right. They were also hoping to find, the idea that you might have snagged a buoy and tied your boat to it was present in people's right. minds, but they were looking for a buoy with a boat on it. Right. Not a big bird-like thing, I went you know. Down to the coast, well, actually, I'm getting ahead of the story, the, the, uh, once I got on the point hand, and the, they at first assessed me that, you know, I was critical pretty much you know they didn't they didn't even dare to touch me thinking that flesh was just going to come off because it was all black and i'm trying to confirm you know hey i'm fine i just need a coffee and a sandwich would be good anyway they said that they was going to be airlifting me off the boat with a that's that's bob curtis with his story about how to survive on a buoy in the middle of winter overnight great story with mike joyce he uh he got that originally by just uh, seeing bob pulling his boat out in uh, Rockland one time, came up to him and stroke up that story. So that will end up boat talk for today. We're going to switch over to uh, another program. I think this is Alan Sprague. Stay tuned for boat talk next month on August 11th. And I survived the sail, sir. I survived the catches of fish and take some home to lie, sir.